Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. You haven't had to worry about it for almost a year, but your reprieve is now over because jury duty is back. After a long delay due to the pandemic, jury trials are starting back up today in Cook County. And it will look pretty different than you're used to as the courts try to factor in COVID safety protocols. On the line with me now is Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Welcome back to Reset. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Why is it important to resume jury trials right now? Well, since the pandemic, the courthouse has essentially been closed for jury trials for over a year. And the right to a jury trial is, you know, a fundamental constitutional provision that people are entitled to. And so for the last year, because we have not been able to have jury trials, people have been denied that right. People who are sitting in jail right now uh, under the presumption of innocence have been unable to come into court and have their say. And so resuming trials right now, a year into this pandemic, is critically important to get our criminal justice system back up and running. So what is this return to the courtroom going to look like? Well, it's going to look dramatically different um, than the last time we saw jury trials here in Cook County. Uh, The requirement for 12 jurors will be the same. Uh, The hope is that we have enough people who get their jury summons will come into court to participate in the process of being picked. But, you know, the jurors will be spread out. No longer will they all be sitting in one jury box. Uh, There will be plexiglass that will separate uh, jurors, the judge, uh, attorneys. Uh, There will be masks uh, that will be required to be worn. And the traditional jury deliberation room, which was usually a small room where 12 people um, were crammed into, will now be more spread out to allow for social distancing. You mentioned the, the challenges over the past year of not having jury trials. What is the backlog of cases looking like? And how is Cook County prioritizing which cases come up first? Yeah, so the backlog is pretty significant. You know, we did an analysis comparing the number of cases we had at the end of February 2020 to February 2021. um, And we've got roughly a 7,500 felony cases extra that are pending, which is about a 36% increase in pending cases. So the chief judge, in consultation with myself and the public defender, has decided on the first few cases that will go, and he made the determination based on custody status, so people who are in custody awaiting trial, the age of the case, people who've been in custody and waiting a significant period of time, and whether they have, in fact, demanded uh, a jury trial under the speedy trial um, rule. So folks in custody, obviously, those cases are deemed more urgent than the others. Absolutely, because, again, we have to remind people that people who are in custody um, and have not yet gone to trial are still there under the presumption of innocence. And so every day that their 
cases delayed um, and they are being detained. They're being deprived of their liberties. And so the custody trial cases were the top priority for the chief judge. So here's the thing. Jury summonses have already been sent out, and we can imagine that some people are going to be nervous about having to appear for jury duty while perhaps not even being vaccinated yet. So what if a person has an underlying health issue or even if they don't have a health issue, but they just aren't comfortable serving on jury duty with the, with the risk of COVID, will they be allowed to opt out? Yeah, what I would first say is that the chief judge's office has recognized that those are very real concerns and that people with underlying health conditions who might be at elevated risk may have the opportunity to opt out. Once you get that summons and you are required to go, there'll be a number that's attached that you can call and share those concerns in advance. What I would tell people is don't just ignore it. Don't just say, well, I can't do it, I'm afraid, and not show up. Uh, The obligation is still there, and the court recognizing these times will make accommodations where appropriate. What's been the biggest obstacle in getting this done? You know, what you just said, all of it. Uh, (laughs) The fears and concerns about a pandemic that is unprecedented. You know, our court system has not seen anything like this in its history. And not only, you know, the concern for the health and safety of the jurors, but the staff, you know, the judges, the prosecutors and defense attorneys, the sheriffs, the very real concerns that they, too, have about their personal health and safety. So making sure that our courtrooms are outfitted, that recognizes uh, social distancing, that has the plexiglass, that can assure the people not only coming to visit as jurors, but who work there every day are safe, has been the biggest obstacle so far. So what are you reflecting on right now? It's been nearly a year of no jury trials. We just talked about all the problems that could arise. You're a prosecutor. What have you learned? First and foremost, I've learned that, you know, the people who work in our office who deal with crime and violence and seeing people at the worst times of their lives um, who've been impacted by this, you know, that there are victims in this past year who have wanted to get this moment of having their cases in court behind them as well have struggled. And that in all of this, when we talk about the criminal justice system, there are people behind it. And, you know, I've had staff members who have lost children, who've lost parents. I have staff members who have lived alone and haven't had the opportunity um, to engage with their colleagues who are living through this pandemic while trying to parent at home and address the toll um, that violence has taken on our communities. So I think one of my biggest lessons that I've learned throughout all of this is to make sure that we do take care of the people who do this work and recognize, you know, the toll that this pandemic has taken, not just on systems and institutions, but the people who run them. I want to turn now to another issue, and that is the spike in carjackings here in the Chicago area. It's up about 180 percent. First, what's your office's response to these carjackings? You know, certainly it has been a horrifying rise that we've seen, not just here in Cook County, but across the country. And our response is to join um, with our law enforcement partners, um, with Chicago Police Departments, the Suburban Police Departments, the FBI, 
um, the U.S. Attorney's Office as part of this task force to identify ways that we can proactively address those who are going uh, to engage in this behavior and to respond in a way that we can hold people accountable. This dramatic rise is, you know, something that we will be analyzing as to what has sparked this for a time to come. Um, But in the meantime, working as a united front to address this head on to assure people that they can be safe in their cars and their community. David Brown has blamed the court stoppage for the rise in violence and carjackings. Does that make sense to you? That's an explanation that doesn't ring true to me. Uh, the reality is is that now people who are arrested and charged for these offenses are going to sit in jail for a very long time because the courts have not been open. The fact that we have a backlog because of the stoppage means that people are sitting in jail. You know, I think what we are seeing, not just here, but across the country, you know, is in the wake of the pandemic and the civil unrest and violence increasing, that there are going to be questions about what sparked this for a while to come. But I can say with some confidence it's not because the courts have been closed. We've also seen you know, some very young people involved in these cases, sometimes as young as 15, 13, even 10 years old. And recently, two 16-year-olds were charged in a carjacking in, in Little Village. These are children. How is your office grappling with this? It's an ongoing struggle uh, that we've had in our justice system, in our juvenile justice system, for years. The carjacking pandemic has just elevated that and illuminated it to the public. Anytime that you have a child picking up a gun and engaging in this type of behavior, there have things that have gone wrong long before that final act. And what we have tried to do and the thing that we need partnership in is looking at these cases and looking at these young people holistically. What is happening in your life that this is behavior that you are engaging in? And we have a lot of parents, for example, who are frontline workers who are out there doing the best that they can to provide, and a lot of children who are unaccompanied. We have kids who aren't in school. The social safety nets of after-school programming and sports and activities have been shut down for the last year. The anxiety around money um, is higher. So all of these things are at play, and it requires us to have a response that addresses the totality of that child, not just that last act. And that means that we have to expand our partners beyond law enforcement into education, social services, health care to deal with these needs. Right, because there's the issue of holding them accountable, but you're also dealing with kids, right? Absolutely. We, we can hold them accountable. We can punish them. But if the conditions in which they have, you know, believed that this was okay aren't addressed, then we may see them again. You know, I keep hearing people talk about repeat offenders. Well, we want to stop the repetition of behavior. And what we've learned is that when you address the whole needs of the person who come before us, they are less likely to reengage. And that means that we have to try non-traditional approaches which is using the law enforcement in partnership with these other entities who can address the whole needs of the child. Well, last month, Governor Pritzker signed a historic criminal justice reform bill that ends cash bail statewide by 2023. You supported that legislation. How far do you see this going in reforming the courts and the justice system here in the county? 
I think it's incredibly significant. I think it is not just significant for here in Cook County, but across the country. This is the first time that this has been done legislatively, and it addresses a fallacy that we've had in the justice system that cash bail keeps us safer. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard the analysis of a Kyle Rittenhouse who kills two people uh, during the, the summer protests last summer who is able to get out on bail because someone posted $200,000. Meanwhile, we have people who are sitting in our jail for nonviolent offenses who can't post 500. And so this is deemed to eliminate dangerous people with money being able to buy their way out of jail and harm our communities while people who have little sit in our jails because of their poverty. Illinois Republicans have criticized the reform bill. House Republican leader Jim Durkin says it's an insult to our first responders law enforcement, and law-abiding citizens. What do you say? You know, I think it is intellectually dishonest for the leader to speak about this bill in this way. This bill was a response to what the communities have been crying out for literally in our streets over the last decade higher police accountability, responsibility to the people that we serve to be transparent, ensuring that the justice system is fair and equitable to all. Unless he has decided that those people who have taken to the streets and to the courthouses and legislative houses saying that we must do better, he's off. This is not 1985. This is 2021, where we have seen the mistakes of the tough-on-crime measures of the past that didn't keep us safer and, in fact, destabilized black and brown communities, and this is a way to address that. Speaking of the reform bill, that that push was led by the Illinois Justice Project, and that group's director, Sharon Mitchell, he's been tapped to replace Amy Campanelli as Cook County's public defender. How do you feel about that? You know, first and foremost, Amy Campanelli was a great public defender and a strong partner um, in the in the quest for criminal justice reform, and, and I thank her for her efforts. I am incredibly excited to have Sharon Mitchell in this position, having known him for a number of years and worked with him, for example, on this recent legislation around ending cash bonds. He is smart, thoughtful, compassionate, and really has a deep understanding both inside and outside of the court system um, of the needs of the communities that he's serving. And, and so I look forward to working with him. You're a prosecutor. He'll be the public defender. Uh, these are typically, at least on the surface, adversarial positions. But he's an advocate for reform in the criminal justice system, and you two have championed reform. So which areas do you see the two of you aligning, and where do you differ? The criminal justice system is an adversarial system, but I think at the end of the day, my goal is truth. Um, and I think he shares that goal, and my goal is justice. And having a system that is aimed towards making sure that our ends are met around truth and justice. And so for me, that is looking at things that we can find agreement, like ending cash bail, like making sure that there are not policies that we have that have a disparate impact on communities of color or marginalized communities. We have a fundamental responsibility to uphold public safety and to hold people accountable, and we want to do it in a way um, that is measured and just. Uh, his responsibility is to act on the behalf of his clients, 
and we respect that. And where we will find areas of common ground will will be there. But at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to ensure that justice is served and that those who have been accused of, of crimes are to be held account for their actions. Well, speaking of holding folks accountable, there have been two Chicago Police Department officers charged this year for off-duty shootings. Is, is that a sign that your office is getting more aggressive with charging officers? You know, when I came into office, I said uh, that we were going to hold people accountable, no matter your profession, whether you're a police officer or a plumber or a priest. In the first two months of my office, we charged two police officers with murder, one off-duty, one on-duty. And so this is a continuation of that commitment, and what is expected of us as prosecutors is to make sure that everyone um, is held to the same standard. So this week, it is disheartening to see people in law enforcement go afoul of the law, but it is my responsibility as a prosecutor to hold them to account. Well, before I let you go, what's the status of all those looting and mayhem cases from the summer? Those cases are still pending, uh, making their way through the courts. As we've said, the courthouses have not been able to be at its full functioning capacity. And so many of those cases are still in status stage um, pre-trial. And we are working with the prosecutors in the courtroom, getting in touch with the victims of those crimes to figure out ways that we can get those cases resolved in short order. That's Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. And that's today's Reset. For more conversations about our friends, our neighbors, and how we can make our city a better place to live, join us right here in this space Monday through Friday. And give us a quick rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for being here. We'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.